Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the house. Uh, super glad you came, decided to come to the house tonight in the midst of all those midterms and life things that are happening all around us. Uh, but I'm super stoked and honored to be able to be up here, having the opportunity to share a little bit about uh, how God has been working in his story, um, which is my story and my opportunity. Yeah, just to share a little about myself and God, because um, our God is great. So my name is Emily Sittler. If we have not met, we should do that. I love making new friends. If we have met, yay, I hope we are friends. And if, yeah, we're friends, cool. Uh, so I have the pleasure of being an intern this year with the house for this school year. Uh, I came to Chattanooga for you guys. Uh, <laughs> students are great, and college can be scary. Lots of change and growth. It's also a ton of fun. For me in college, in Seattle, the place where I was really known and felt at home was at a sister ministry to this called The Inn. There was so much craziness around and I just, I could be myself there. I learned a lot there and I also learned that college students are the best. You have so much to say and you deserve to be known and heard. So being able to get paid to hang out with you, not in a bad way, but like that I get to be here and be paid and do what I love, hanging out with you, talking about Jesus, God is good. I love it. So I just want to thank each and every one of you that have really just opened up your arms welcoming me. Uh, that whole transition of post-college, I'm not a college student anymore, never been to the South before, you guys just made that transition incredibly fun. Uh, really diving me into all those Southern experiences. Uh, so I've learned a lot since I've been here so far from students. I would make shout outs, but that would take a while. So just thank you. Uh, and my host parents that are sitting in the back with my host dog. <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't bark tonight, we'll see. She doesn't like fire engines, so just pray that there's none of that. Um, <laughs> Uh, and just everyone on staff, especially the women on staff. They're just wonderful, yes. <laughs> so a couple of things you should know about me. I grew up in Los Altos, California. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have wonderful parents and a brother and a sister. Grew up with a wonderful dog. I like dogs, I'll get to that. Uh, I played a ton of sports growing up, which eventually led me to the sport of rowing. It's like with the boats and the oars. Have you read Boys in the Boat? It's like that. I just don't have the gold medal. Didn't go to the Olympics, but that sport. Um, so eventually, through high school rowing, that led me to uh, go on scholarship to row at the University of Washington in Seattle. Go dogs. My favorite color is purple. Go dogs. And speaking of dogs, I love dogs. <laughs> like some people, like Ben, the other intruder, has no heart for dogs. Like it's, it's awful. He says I'm obsessed, but I prefer to say extremely passionate <laughs> about my dogs. Um, so I made a collage of all my favorite furry friends for... <laughs> oh 
So National Dog Day was about three weeks ago, so I made it for that. Um, so if you guys are in need of some joy in your life, some constant stream of these beautiful dogs, you can add me on Snapchat, and I'll brighten your day. That's my Snapchat name right there. Okay. But seriously, you should do that. I'll send you dogs all the time. Some people can attest to that. Ben doesn't like it, so he deleted me off Snapchat. <laughs> can't. I can't do it. So now that you know me a little bit on a surface level, uh, let's get back into the sermon series. In the wise words of Usher, these are my confessions. I was going to try to play a little clip, but then the rest of the song isn't that appropriate, so just, these are my confessions. Uh, so last week, the other intern, Ben, there's also two other interns that are wonderful too, and they're speaking soon, and you should come to that as well. But last week, Ben preached on dependence on God. It was a wonderful sermon uh, out of the book of John. Tonight, I want to preach about the freedom we have in Christ, and that we don't have to let our sin define us anymore. Looking at uh, my story with God and Romans 7 and 8. So with that, let's pray and get started. God, I want to thank you for this opportunity for me to be up here and you to speak through me tonight. I pray that I can just get out of the way and you can be here, you can be clear, that we can know that we are children of God and that is all that matters. You're a good father, you take care of us, we are loved by you, and we are your children. You just wrap us up in your arms and that is all that matters, Lord. I pray that everyone in this audience can really just let go of the blinders, the judgment, and just hear your word. Let it sink in. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I confess that I let my sin define me. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? This scripture from Romans 7 in the message translation sums up my confession. It sums up the question that I have been asking, that I know I'm not alone in asking. Why do I continue to go on sinning? I've sinned a lot in my life and I've held on to the shame and the titles it's given me. What I've realized is that I go on sinning because I let my sin define me. So I grew up in a Christian home, learned about the Bible stories, I went to church every Sunday, learned about this guy named Jesus. It all sounded pretty great. It never crossed my mind that I would ever want to live a life that looked any different from Sunday school Emily. But then high school and college came along. 
I knew the difference between right and wrong, but the idea of being bad sounded better. Like people would like me more if they knew I didn't follow the rules. My first sip of alcohol, not counting the times my parents let me sip off their wine when I was little, was my sophomore year of high school. I felt very cool doing something against the rules. That one sip turned into many, many, many more throughout the rest of high school and college to where getting drunk became the norm every Saturday night. Freshman year of college, my teammates on the rowing team began to know me as the party girl who got crazy every Saturday night. I loved being known as an expert in the party scene. It gave me a sense of purpose and something to look forward to every single weekend. But by the end of freshman year, I began to slow down a bit when it came to drinking. The hangovers every Sunday morning just weren't worth it as much anymore. I started to think about why I enjoy drinking so much. Was it being able to just let go and forget the stressful things from the week? Was it it made me look cool? Was it that I could get away with doing stupid things and blame it on the alcohol? That song, Blame It On Alcohol, was like my motto in college. All these reasons made me realize I was holding alcohol as an idol and letting the party culture define me. So I decided to stop drinking as much, maybe try to start going back to church. That didn't last very long. As summer got underway and getting drunk became the norm again. Romans 7 that we read earlier was coming to life. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I got a fake ID, illegally, and the bar scene opened up a whole new world of drunk shenanigans that I loved. Towards the end of summer, as fall season for rowing was fast approaching, I had another desire to stop drinking I wanted to focus on training for rowing, school, that's why I'm in college, maybe getting involved in a small group again, just remembering how much I loved that Sunday school Emily growing up. But as training for rowing stopped going well, and school became extremely stressful, drinking is what I turned to, because it's that life that I knew Again, I saw myself living out Romans 7. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. This time around, drinking was all about forgetting how badly the rest of my life was going. See, when I started to drink a lot, I felt this internal pressure that I needed to uphold this identity of a party girl that I had created for myself. So to uphold that identity, other things began to sprout that always ended badly. I began sleeping around because I needed attention from guys. 
I began to schedule my days so full, just so it appeared that I had it all together. I began obsessing over my body, controlling how much I ate and exercising for hours on end just to get that perfect body. And to top it all off, without even realizing it, I was hurting the feelings of people around me that I loved, just to keep up this image. All of these things were killing me inside. So drinking seemed to be the best option to ignore the pain. It's what I knew. But really all that did was attach me to this identity even more. Emily, the party girl. So because I went back to drinking to ignore the pain, this pattern continued. Everything I did in my life revolved around partying. The guys coming and going, the packed schedule, the obsessing over my body, how much I ate, how much I exercised. If I ate, I had to work it off before I could be happy again. All of it was preparing me for the party Saturday night, because we could only party Saturday nights because of athletics. But. This addiction ended up with me getting alcohol poisoning New Year's Eve of my sophomore year. My dad had to pick me up from a college party as I was throwing up all over his car. Drinking too much? put my whole life on hold. As I couldn't so much as sit up without feeling awful for a whole week. I felt so much shame that I let this addiction that I thought was just fun and games completely take over. So much shame that I was sleeping around. So much shame that I was a slave to my busy schedule. So much shame that I never thought my body was good enough. So much shame that I was hurting the people around me that I loved. Once again, finding myself living out Romans 7. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? After this incident, I thought I had to fix everything myself. I quit rowing because of the combination of the party culture around the team, my obsession with exercise, my insanely packed schedule. It wasn't a good place for me to be. I signed up for all these clubs, and I tried getting involved with the inn, the sister ministry to the house that I mentioned earlier on the University of Washington campus. You see, I wanted to get right with God again. I wanted to try to shake this party girl identity that I had let define me. I wanted to stop sinning. I wanted to be that Sunday school Emily again. And I wanted to stop feeling all this shame. Thankfully, I went to the, to the inn one night and heard an announcement about a mission trip. Hint, hint, you should sign up for a mission trip. You will not regret it. I ended up going on the Dominican Republic spring break trip with the inn that year. 
and it changed my life completely. On the trip, I learned that there is an answer to this question from Romans 7. Is there no one who can do anything for me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. I'll say that again. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. If I would have just kept reading in Romans, I would have seen long ago that Jesus was the answer. The scripture continues. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Wow. For the first time, I saw that I didn't have to let sin define me. I don't have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud of wanting to do good, but constantly being pulled back into sin. Did you know this? that because of Jesus, we are promised a freeing life with the spirit of Christ. But what does this new life look like? A life with the spirit of Christ in it. I knew that I didn't want my sin to define me. I was looking for more than just party girl Emily. So I threw myself into learning everything about God and getting involved with everything that I knew that good and holy Christians do. Leading a core group, going on mission trips, going to church every Sunday, raising my hands in worship. All these things are wonderful, but I wasn't actually letting God's spirit work in me. I was doing everything myself, trying to get life right. Because of this, I easily fell back into sin. That sin that I had let define me for so long. That identity that I knew so well and I could tangibly grab onto it. Can you relate to this? Wanting to change for the better, but just trying to do it on your own. And so you quickly fall back into that sin you're ashamed of. This book called Beloved Dust that I've been reading summarized my feelings pretty well. When we seek ways to get life right on our own, we are telling God that we do not need him or even want him, but just want a better life. Sin in our lives causes us to shy away from God's presence. Just as light chases away the dark, so God's light reveals more of ourselves than we are comfortable with. The light of God can leave us scrambling for the shadows. 
I wanted a better life, but was afraid of what was gonna happen when I let go of control and gave it to God to show me who I really am. I knew I was more than just party girl Emily, but living in my sin was safe. Leaning on God was uncomfortable and unknown. His light is what I needed, but I was too afraid of him revealing the real Emily. So scrambling for the shadows of my sin was my fear response. You see, I would go to the inn on a Tuesday night, wanting to apply the truth about God that I had just learned, but quickly learned it was really hard to do on my own. And of course, my sin was right there to trip me up again. Getting drunk after the inn became the norm again. At least I had gone to church that night, right? Sleeping with a guy I met on a mission trip. At least he was Christian, right? Obsessing over my body again. At least I was being healthy and exercising, right? Lying to my friends and family about guys and feelings. At least they never found out, right? No, you see I was living in this illusion that I could create my own identity again. A Sunday school Emily, a seemingly good Christian. Clearly that didn't work. I was not letting my identity be created by God. I was not experiencing life on his terms. Even though I had recognized that I could have a new life because of God, one where his spirit lives and works inside of me, I was still letting my sin define me. But the scripture says in Romans 8, but for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. Do you see that? God would make me alive. He died for my sins so they don't have to define me anymore. That sounded pretty rad. But I stand up here, I still don't know how to let go of control and let him make me feel alive again. Thankfully, Romans 8 kind of answers my question. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are. 
father and children. Father and children. Life on God's terms means living like I am a child of God. Letting him define me, not my sin. You may not struggle with these same sins. Y'all may be even sitting there judging me for everything that I've done. But I know that we all carry sin. And I think we all know what it feels like to have shame from something we've done and letting that define and control us, not God. But what does it look like to let go of the control and the identities we hold on to, to bury this old life of sin and shame and risk committing fully to exploring what being a child of God looks like. I began to realize this right around my graduation from the University of Washington in June. Go dogs. As a college grad, I figured I'd be able to figure this out, living like a child of God. I began to live like this is my motto and I started to experience freedom for the first time in my life. Freedom from this sin that I let define me for so long. Freedom from the shame that I held on to from all these bad decisions I have made. But the funny thing is, one of the biggest things I've learned from being here in Chattanooga the last two months is I don't really know myself at all. Now that I'm trying to not let my sin define me, and now that I'm living as a child of God, I don't actually know what this looks like on a daily basis, or how to explain this newfound freedom. What does it look like for me to legally grab a beer with friends, not just drinking to get drunk? What does it look like for me to go on a date with a guy just to get to know each other, knowing I don't need to have sex with him to feel loved? What does it look like to eat a normal amount of food to be filled up and exercise a healthy amount just for fun without obsessing over it? I don't have the answer. I've learned I can't figure it out on my own. Believe me, I've tried. But Romans says this resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? Because of Jesus' life and resurrection, we don't have to be timid, letting our sin easily take us over. We don't have to live a grave-tending life, holding on to that sin that kills us. God has defeated sin. As the scripture says, God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, 
and we know who we are, father and children. Guys, the way to get to know who we are as children of God is to get to know the Father. I don't have a five-step plan or an equation or a self-help book on how to do that. But here are some ways I've started. Spending time alone with God, trying to pray more boldly and listen more intently, actually studying the Bible and starting to implement what it has taught me and continues to teach me? Is it hard at times? You betcha. Is it worth it? Heck yes. Living life as a child of God is adventurously expectant. We ask God who we are and what's coming next. For those who follow him, he promises to confirm in us who we really are. Are you looking for this? Are you ready for this adventure? I don't know about you, but I love adventure. Before I came to Tennessee, I was in Alaska for a month, camp counseling with some other students from the inn. The mountains and glaciers are beautiful. I couldn't help but sit and stare at the mountains and wonder about God. If he could create something this vast and beautiful, but also spend time to create me, his child, what else does he have in store for me? His spirit is living inside of me. And he's given me so much freedom to explore his creation. I don't know what my future looks like completely. None of us do. But I know that the way to be free in this life is to get to know God, our Father. Living life adventurously expectant. Asking God, what's next, Papa? My sin does not define me. God does. Romans says, so you don't, so don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. I am not defined as a party girl. I am a child of God. We all struggle with sin and we have all felt shame at some point in our lives. But we don't owe this old life full of sin and shame anything. We can bury it and get on with our new lives because of Jesus. Do I know completely what this new life is? No. But I do know that we can live adventurously expectant, trusting that he will show us. 
Guys, God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go with him. Let go of all that sin that you let define you. In Christ, you are a child of God. And in Christ, there is freedom. The old is gone, the new has come. Let's live into this life of freedom. Let's pray. God, I just wanna thank you. You're a good father. You spoke through me tonight to let everyone in this room know that they are children of God. We have freedom in you, our Father. I pray that as we walk out of here, any sin, any shame that we've been holding on to, we can give that to you, the one who loves us so much that you sent your one and only son to die for our sins. God, you have defeated sin. You have taken all this brokenness aside and made us beautiful. You love us so much. Let us love you back. I wanna just thank you for each and every person in this room. They are each beautiful children of God, beautifully and wonderfully made, unique in your image. So we thank you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.